Today's reading is from Exodus chapter 7, verse 14, to chapter 8, verse 19. The Plague of Blood Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding, he refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the water. Wait on the bank of the Nile to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go, so that they may worship me in the desert. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says, By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed to blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will, they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the wooden buckets and stone jars. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water, because they could not drink the water of the river. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will plague your whole country with frogs. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will go up on you and your people and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt. The frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron said, Pray. Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people, that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said, Moses replied, it will be as you say so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. 
After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground, and throughout the land of Egypt the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came upon men and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. And the gnats were on men and animals. The magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Friends, would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we thank you that your word speaks life, and we thank you that you are aware of the issues in our world. You're aware of the various ideologies, the ways in which we can turn to worship things other than you, ways of life that are uh, evil, that are apart from you. Lord, we know that you hold us and you hold this world in your hands and you limit the power of evil and you will one day undo it completely, Lord, at your return. Lord, I pray that as we would look at this text today and the plagues upon Egypt, that you would encourage us that you are at work and your power is strong and you are doing things today in our time. Lord, we thank you that this text speaks to your desire to liberate and to free those who are in bondage, Lord, that you bring freedom and life to our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to navigate with wisdom what it means to care well for those who are downtrodden, but also, Lord, not to villainize or to forget to love those who are practicing uh, a life that is far from you. Lord, we remember that you uh, came to give your life for all, and your heart is that none would perish. So Jesus, we thank you that justice is in your hands and not in ours. And while you call us to uh, seek justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with you, Lord, ultimately, we trust that you will set things right in our world. And we put our faith and our hope in you today. And we ask that uh, this text would speak, encourage us, Lord, that you would, through your word, uh, show us the path of wisdom and life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are surrounded by messages of power. And if you are on any kind of social media, you will see people using power, arguing about power, arguing about privilege, arguing perhaps not intellectually, some perhaps, but often slurring each other, seeking to defame one another's character as though everyone's sort of morally upright. The issue of power is interesting. And in our post-Christian uh, secular society in the West, 
the prevailing view about God uh, is that you should just keep your opinion to yourself. That's something for you personally, but we don't think of him as the powerful, loving uh, ruler of the universe. When it comes to power, we think of our own powers so often. This is not a new way of thinking. When you look at Exodus and how Pharaoh thought of Yahweh, he said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? This is chapter 5, verse 2. The implication is that Pharaoh sees himself as Lord. And so often we can treat ourselves as lords or imagine our governments or our academic institutions as our lords. It's easy for Pharaoh to deliberately mistreat God's people and to ignore God because he treats himself as God. And this is the state that we can find ourselves here in Canada at this time. We realize the rule of God, as one pastor put it, can seem hidden to those without faith. And now quite suddenly in the story of Exodus, we find God's awesome power on display for the purpose of declaring that he is indeed the rightful ruler, even of those who have no faith in him. And this is essential for us to hear because we can be lulled into thinking that God does not rule our world. And it's easy to forget this. Our sinful nature wants to forget this. The deliverance in Exodus, it sort of takes the veil away and displays the rule of God in our world, in our lives, that God, not Pharaoh, is actually the divine king. And as we look at God's power versus Egypt's power in this passage, we also need to re be reminded that God's power is greater than any earthly, uh, temporary, uh, worldly, or flesh-driven power that we may be tempted to bow to or to submit to. So God sets up here Moses against Pharaoh. It's the first thing he does, look at Exodus 7, 1 and 2. This is from the NIV, says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron will be like your prophet. You're to say everything I command you. And your brother Aaron's to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. Moses is going to be like God to Pharaoh. And that's what verse 1 kind of literally says in Hebrew is, I have made you God to Pharaoh. Um, so Moses is going to be God's chosen representative. We've talked about this before, his chosen prophet. And when Moses speaks before the throne of Pharaoh, he speaks with God's uh, divine authority. God is going to speak and act through Moses. Peter Enns explains it like this. He says, in Egyptian royal uh, ideology, the Pharaoh was considered a divine being. So by calling Moses God, Yahweh's beating Pharaoh at his own game. It's not the king of Egypt who is God. Rather, it's this shepherd and leader of slaves who's like God. And this Moses God defeats Pharaoh in a manner that leaves no doubt as to the true nature and source of his power. He controls the elements, bugs, livestock, fire from heaven, water of the sea, and even has authority over life and death. Moses is not simply like God to Pharaoh. He truly is God to Pharaoh in that God is acting through Moses. So by making Moses uh, God to Pharaoh, God is, is putting Pharaoh in his place. Moses isn't divine, of course. There's only one God, but Moses is one of his prophets representing God. And this is just, just to touch on this, this is like one of the God's great mysteries is that he chooses human instruments to carry out his will and his desires in the world. 
He likes to communicate through us. He likes to work with us. God loves you because he loves to work with you. He thinks you're worth working with. He thinks you're pretty neat. And he loves the idea of coming alongside you, coming alongside him, and him using you, um, working alongside together in what God has for us. He calls us to live out his life and his love in our world and in our society and to proclaim his wonder and his power and his goodness, the gospel of Jesus Christ at home and in the workplace and in our schools and what so forth. Um, so God wants to use Moses in this unique way, in this way that's special for Moses, but it is also the way Jesus through the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and chooses to work through us as well. I've seen uh, two other pastors when they've uh, preached this passage of scripture, they refer to the three body parts that get mentioned throughout Moses lips is the first one. Pharaoh's heart is the second one and God's hand is the third one. So I'm going to do the same thing and I'm, I'm borrowing here, but, but this is, it's a, it's a helpful way to kind of come at the text. And the first is Moses' lips. We talked about this a little bit last week. Moses feels he's a man of uncircumcised lips. And what that probably means is in his, you know, in his attempts to be faithful and obedient, he probably feels like a bit of a failure because things have not gone well. And God, as the true ruler, is going to override Moses' limitations and his insecurities and his weakness. Moses might look like a failure. That's what he means by his lips are uncircumcised. But in God's economy, Moses is actually successful. God, God flips our expectations of what it means to live well and to be successful. Doesn't mean becoming wealthy. Doesn't mean becoming super spiritual, a spiritual athlete of some kind, or super influential. But true success is defined as faithfulness to God and faithfulness to God's will. Choosing to trust him and to follow him and to obey him. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in Moses' life, transforming him. And now Moses is one who wants to obey God's word. And when we obey God's word, when we choose to follow Jesus, it changes us. Jesus tells us this is, this is what true success looks like. This is what the true meaning of life looks like. Listen to what Jesus says in John 15. He says, this is uh, verse 10. He says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love, these things I have spoken unto you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Folks, this is what we're to strive for. The aim of our lives is to abide in the life of Jesus. And as we seek to obey him and to walk in him, our joy, our life, our very being is filled and encouraged and sustained as we navigate the challenges of life. And I hope you've made that decision today to follow Jesus, to abide in him to open yourself to the life and the forgiveness and the grace that God has for you. Now, the second part of demonstrating God's power and rule is he wants to, uh, is by looking at Pharaoh's hard heart. So we look at Moses' lips and that God uses us in our brokenness, even in a world that seems far from God. And God flips our expectations of what success looks like. Maybe this week you've struggled with knowing who you are and, and wondering what your purpose is and feeling maybe like a failure because something didn't work out well. But here, failure is, is defined as being hardening your heart 
against God, which we'll see in Pharaoh. And success is, is choosing to be obedient and even walking out our frustrations towards God in relationship with God, which we see in Moses. So Moses' lips, now Pharaoh's hard heart. And this is, like I said, it's the opposite of how God defines success. Pharaoh's wealthy, he's powerful, yet God's going to bring Pharaoh down. And the picture of failure is this hardness of heart. Pharaoh doesn't listen to God, and this is what leads to this hardening. Um, he finds it impossible to accept another ruler. He wants to define morality according to his own whims and desires. And we see that in how he tried to destroy the children earlier in the book and in his enslaving of the people, using people to his own ends. And you, uh, we may not be in close contact to a, a true evil ruler, but you may encounter people around you who's, who have the, the desire to use others for their own ends. And that is a, a twisting of power. It's a, it's a Pharaoh-like act to try to abuse another simply to bolster yourself. And so as Pharaoh uh, encounters these plagues, his heart hardens as the plague subsides. And the same, I think, is, is true. Uh, we need to consider when we encounter Jesus, just as Pharaoh's encountering Yahweh and and he is giving, being given the choice between hardening his heart or having a soft heart like Moses. We encounter the same thing when we come to God in Jesus. When we hear the gospel, when our friends hear the gospel, there's a choice being given to have a hard heart resisting what God wants to do, resisting Jesus, or to have a soft heart and to begin to walk in relationship with Jesus. And so the question here as we consider Moses and Pharaoh is really a question of posture. Like, what's your heart? towards God? What's your posture when you hear about God or you hear about Jesus? Do you resist him? Is there something there that you, that blocks you because it, it, it attacks your desire to kind of define your own morality for yourself? Or is your heart open to embrace what God has for you? Now, one question that's really important to consider here is, is it actually fair uh, when we say that God's hardening Pharaoh's heart? Does that remove Pharaoh's free will somehow? Is God manipulating him. And I want you to notice that God's work and Pharaoh's uh, decisions are not actually opposites. God is honoring, allowing, recognizing Pharaoh's decisions to harden his own heart. God is giving Pharaoh over to his own evil. Paul in Romans 1 verse 21 says this, we become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened and God gave them over to their sin. And I think this is a picture of what's happening here with Pharaoh. In our futile thinking, in our foolishness of hearts, we are darkened and God gives us over to our sin. So God knew that Pharaoh would harden his heart. The plagues are opportunities to repent, but eventually Pharaoh chooses uh, the futility of his thinking 
and he, he embraces the foolishness of his own heart. This darkens him, and God eventually says, if that's what you want, I will give it to you. And so eventually Pharaoh's evil reaches this point of no return, and then God starts to bend Pharaoh's evil purposes to fulfill his own redemptive purposes. God is going to lure Pharaoh into his own destruction, and he shows his rule by giving Pharaoh over to the devices and the desires of his own hard heart. I think we need to examine our own hearts on this. It's easy to just look at Pharaoh and be like, well, he's this bad guy. Uh, you know, he's this wealthy bad guy. We're going to blame the wealthy people, right? He's this bad guy and he's just got this hard heart. You know, I'm not like that. But I think we can be like Pharaoh. We can harden our hearts too. The, the hard heart is a danger for us also. In fact, Psalm 95 recognizes this. It says, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. We're called to keep our hearts alive and softened and available to what God would want to do in us, to listen to his word. The Holy Spirit wants to take our hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh. And if maybe today you're sitting there going, oh, my heart's been hard towards God. I just, I know I've been resisting him. I know I've, I've been trying to devise my life in such a way that I'm, I'm saying stuff that isn't good is good. And I'm, I'm ignoring what I need to do with my life. And I want you to, if that's true, open your, open yourself to the life of Jesus and allow him to transform a heart of stone into a heart of flesh and let God's power transform your life. Hebrews three tells us to encourage each other that none of us would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin deceives us. And one of the ways we care for each other is by encouraging each other and, and, and helping one another to hear God's word, to keep our eyes turned upon Jesus and to keep our hearts healthy. Think of it like exercising a muscle, right? If you just let that muscle go, it's going to, it's going to become weaker it's going gonna, it's gonna to become lazy. It's going to be harder to do what you, what, what you can do with it. But if, but if you begin to exercise it and you begin to use it, you begin to allow it to do what it's called to do, what it's made to do, it becomes healthier. And in the same way, our hearts need the exercise of encouragement from each other. Our hearts are made to work with God. They're made to be in relationship with God. You are made as a human person, made in God's image to be in communion with God through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And so you're made for this. And so instead of resisting him, hardening, letting that muscle um, become difficult to work with, we become soft and usable in God's hands. So God shows his power through Moses' lips and his ability to take what looks like a failure and transform it into success as Moses seeks to be obedient to God. We also see God's power at work in Pharaoh's heart, allowing Pharaoh his free will, eventually giving him opportunity to repent, but eventually giving him over to his evil desires. And now we see God's power at work in his mighty hand against the evil of Egypt. And we have the scene with the snakes early on. Again, we talk about the snake is worn on the Egyptian crown, right? It's like a symbol of power. And when Aaron's snake staff swallows the other snake staffs, it's a sign of the power of the gods is going to be defeated. And the first plague, the turning of the Nile to blood, 
is pretty significant because the Nile River would be absolutely central to Egyptian life, right? It's, it'd be the hub of the economy and the agriculture and the arts, the commerce, the uh, fishing, everything, right? If the Nile can't produce good, you know, all the trade, all of that, if the Nile can't do what they're used to it doing, the whole economy fails. We also know there's at least three gods of the Nile, and these would be considered the sources of life, fertility, and sexuality. And so this is who the Egyptians are are praising and giving thanks for, for their own livelihood, right? Is to the Nile and to the gods associated with the Nile and all of its activity. And now Yahweh is showing he is the true God as he turns the Nile and all the water, even in basins and stuff around the country, into blood. In the plague, God is saying he rules the present prosperity of Egypt. It comes from his hand. And he is exercising his power and his authority over the false gods of Egypt. The frog plague is, is a similar kind of thing. There's actually a frog-headed goddess named Hekek. And, and it was a fertility god. And her job was to control the frog population. And God is showing Egypt that Hekek cannot resist the power of Yahweh. Egypt's future is in God's hands. So not, not just her present economical success with the Nile and all of its activity, commerce, etc., and trade and arts and culture, but also its future with the fertility issue as God is, is showing his power, not just over uh, Egypt's present, but also over Egypt's future. Where that's going to come to a head at the very end with the firstborn plague. How does this relate to us? Well, you may have, we, we have our own idols in our own day. What buildings in our culture, uh, one of my professors used to say, what buildings in our culture are the most ornate? Our museums, which, which celebrate our human achievements and human successes, um, or, or loathe our, our human, uh, you know, our tragedies, but also, you know, seek to kind of make amends for it. Our banks are like this too. Often our banks are quite ornate. Um, where are the places that look like temples? The arena, perhaps, looks like a temple. We can look at our idols, our investments, um, our recreation, our activities, our real estates, our jobs. We can see these as the source of our blessing. Look what I've made for myself. We can look at our technology and think about our futures and put our stock in those things. But God alone holds our lives. He holds our present and he holds our future. He's the giver of every good gift. And just though we may not have false gods named Hekek in our time, there are other idols that are constantly seeking for you to bow to them, that are constantly crying for your worship and your praise. And your heart is designed to worship. And so the question is not, will you worship? The question is, what will you worship? And what you worship shapes who you are and who you become. So keep that in mind. The third plague that I want to talk about is the Nat plague. And this starts to really show God's power over Satan. This is in chapter 8, verse 18. It's at this point, the magicians have been kind of replicating the plague to some degree, right? But here, when they try to use their satanic power to bring forth the gnats, they realize in their shock that they can't do it. And the magicians say to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God, right? God is completely limiting Satan's power. And Pharaoh's servants begin to realize what Pharaoh himself can't see. 
and they actually start to think Pharaoh's starting to lose it, right? We can't come, we can't compare to this. We can't compete. Pharaoh, you need to let these people go, right? So the God who sent Moses and Aaron is showing he has the true power over all of Egypt. And friends, as Christians, we celebrate God's rule and power, which is shown most clearly in the victory of Jesus' death at the cross and his resurrection from the empty tomb. This is where all spiritual evil, all death and all sin itself has been defeated by God's power. And now Jesus makes a new way for us to enter into life with God. In Exodus 8.22, it says God will deliver Israel, uh, set a redemption for them. And this is God's mission, folks, in the world. This is the heart of the triune God, is to give himself in love and bring us into his love, bring us into life with him, to abide in him. And God is showing us he is the living ruler of our world. This is what Jesus has done, so that the world will know that God is the Lord of the earth and that there can be deliverance from sin and evil and idolatry. To reject God and his work, to fail to listen to his voice, this is the way of the hard heart, the way of Pharaoh. But to be faithful to God and to his word and to know true joy and to success and to abide in the life of Jesus, this is the way that Moses models uh, even in his own brokenness, and it's the way that we are called to live as well. This is what we celebrate when we, we recognize with joy what we have within Jesus. We hear the news and we're transformed by it. Our hearts are open to what God wants to do in us. So, Moses' lips, Pharaoh's heart, God's hand. We see this battleground of power, of human misgiving, of idolatry, of pride, of seeking God in the midst of it, and all of it, God showing, displaying his power and his authority. God allows Egypt's evil to exist for a, a temporary time. He is patient in giving them room to repent. And often we see this, God allowing evil for a time to run its course, not destroying them because his heart is to love and to redeem. He's patiently enduring their sin. He's patiently enduring your sin, my sin, giving us opportunity to turn to him and to choose life. So today, friends, are you running from God? Is he patiently waiting for you? And I encourage you to come to him today to resist the false gods that would make attempts on your life to seek to distract you from the true God and, uh, and allure you with their broken promises of power in the present or for the future. And I encourage you today to embrace the true God, the God who rules our world with his love and his grace who has come in Jesus Christ to ransom us, to clean us up, to cleanse us, forgive us, to bring us into new life. So I encourage you today, don't harden your heart like Pharaoh, but keep your heart open to the grace of Jesus Christ and allow him to come and to shape you, to transform you and to save you. Amen. 
Well, friends, thank you for joining us for our service today. I pray you've been blessed and encouraged. Just so you know as well, we are gathering again physically, corporately here in our church building for services 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you would like to come, encourage you to come. If you're able to, if you're feeling up to it, um, let us know on Thursdays. Give the church a call uh, so we can prepare, know who all is coming, so we can be ready for, for you and, and welcome you well. As, as per our custom, I'd love to send you off today with the benediction. So children of God, who are loved and forgiven in and through our Lord Jesus Christ, may you know God's wonder and power at work in your life. May you resist the temptations of idols and the false gods of our culture and our secular society. And may you be encouraged in the life and presence of Jesus Christ who can defeat all sin and evil and death and bring you into everlasting salvation life. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. I do love you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.